This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message. Good morning, CRC. How are we doing this morning? (laughs) Good. Good to see you. I'm Pastor John. I have the joy of serving as the lead pastor here at Christ. I'm sorry, that just threw me off at Coopersville Reformed Church. Um, And thank you for being here. Thank you for worshiping our Lord and Savior this Christmas season with us here. And thank you for those who are joining us online as well. Welcome to week one of a new series that we're going to do here entitled Hope Personified. I just love this time of year. I'm just going to be fully transparent. I I just, I love it. Even though the schedule is a bit packed this season, I think I love just about everything about Christmas. I love the season change. I do. I I wouldn't like it long term, but three months is just about right for me. I love the lights on the Christmas tree. I love the holiday coffees, even though they cost way too much. I love the countdown to Christmas. Maybe you have a little Advent countdown that you and your family do each year. I know we do. I'm amped up for our Christmas Eve services, Christmas Eve at CRC. Thursday and Saturday is going to be unbelievable. It's going to be phenomenal. Most of all, I love what the Word of God teaches us about the first Christmas because no matter how many times we go back to it, year after year after year after year, there's so much there for us to receive. I just enjoy it. I love almost every part of Christmas. But if there, I can be real with you. There's one thing that I don't necessarily love, and it's the waiting. It's the waiting. The lines just seem longer in the store. There seems to be more traffic during this time. I, I think there is a shortage of Santa Clauses because the lines are longer to get to Santa Claus than they are at the DMV. I mean, they're, they're just long. And if you want to get in line to go to one of those Christmas light showings in your car, you better have a full tank of gas and you better pack a lunch because those lines, I remember last year we went and Helen's like, honey, why are you turning off the heat in our car? It's like 10 degrees. I said, do you see this line? We got to preserve fuel. This is ridiculous. We had a half tank. We just made it out of there. I can remember my brother did not like waiting either during Christmas season 
as kids growing up. My brother is five years older than me. Love him, dearly miss him. And I often think back of these memories in this season that we got to share together. And one of the things that kind of revealed my brother's displeasure in waiting uh, as a kid growing up was that he found out where my mother's hiding spot was for Christmas gifts um, growing up. And he knew, and we had a small place, so there was only a few potential hiding spots anyway, but he knew the corner in the closet where she hid all of the Christmas gifts as she was preparing uh, to, to wrap them this, the, the Christmas season that we were in. And um, my mom ended up finding out one year that he had found this hiding space and he had actually known it for years. And it all kind of climaxed one particular Christmas. I'll never forget it. He was about 12 years old. I was about seven years old. And he got this gift. She got him this gift that any 12-year-old in the 90s would have loved. And I think you guys are really going to appreciate this. It was a Barry Sanders jersey. So he was 12 years old, he loved Barry Sanders, he, he just loved him, and he was a running back himself in peewee football, JV football, varsity football growing up. And so he had asked for this Barry Sanders jersey, he had known that he got it because he was in that spot um, way before Christmas, and what my mom would like to do, we would open all of our gifts Christmas Eve night. How many of y'all open up your gifts Christmas Eve as a family? Y'all are Christmas Day, the real, okay, real traditionalist. All right, we don't mess around. It's Christmas Day. I appreciate that. I respect that. We open ours up Christmas Eve night after going to Catholic Mass. And so we'd go to Catholic Mass service, open up our gifts. What my mom would like to do was she would like us to shake the gift and guess it. Some of y'all may do that with your kids or grandkids. So we would shake the gift and guess it. And I remember this one particular Christmas Eve night. It, my brother used to like miss on purpose so she didn't think that he had seen the gift. But this particular night at 12 years old, my brother went like four for four on guessing the gift. Like he was just like fed up with it. Like the idea of seeing the gift before Christmas Eve was just becoming too easy. And I could see my mom was catching on. And then when it all hit a peak, he got the jersey and he could just feel it. And even though she would try to make it look like it's not a jersey, he just knew it. She goes, Kenny, guess what that is? And he goes, I know, it's the Barry Sanders jersey. And he looked like that. She goes, what do you mean you know? And she looked at me. And I said, Oh, come, oh, come, I mean, I don't, I have no idea. And so the cat was out of the bag, um, and it was still a great Christmas, but mom was not happy. And like most 12-year-olds, my brother struggled with waiting during the Christmas time as well. Rest in Christ. We're going to meet a couple here in Luke chapter 1, and what we're going to be doing throughout the next three weeks is we are going to be going through the book of Luke a little bit, uh, chapters one and two in particular, the next three weeks, and I'm gonna encourage you to follow along with us. So if you have one of our blue hardback pew Bibles, we're gonna meet a couple who was also waiting um, during the first Christmas, 
and their names are Zach and Elizabeth, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Page 830 in our Pew Bibles we'll be looking at mostly this morning. And if you don't own a Bible or you just really like this, you don't have a New International Version and, and you like the way the NIV reads, um, you can take this home with you. This is our gift to you. Starting at verse 5 in Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe you can relate with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and you've been in a prolonged season of waiting. Maybe you're waiting to get pregnant, and you're wondering, why God? Or maybe you have someone who you love who is waiting to get pregnant and has been waiting for some time, and they're wondering, why God? Maybe you've suffered a miscarriage this year or in years past, and you just keep thinking to yourself, is this really God's will for my life? Is this really it, God? Is this what you've willed for me? Is this the lot that I've chosen? Maybe you see others with children, perhaps like Zechariah and Elizabeth may have, and you, you think to yourself, that was our dream. That was our dream. The religious culture in the day of Zech and, and Liz, we'll call them, believed that if people couldn't have children, it was a sign of God's displeasure towards them. Like if you couldn't have a child, God must be displeased with you. Must be God's judgment on your life. That was the religious culture of the day's thought. They lived Zechariah and Elizabeth, they lived in the weight of that culture. It must have felt condemning. I imagine they may have felt as if others were judging them when they looked at their lives thinking, well, Zechariah and Elizabeth seem to be God-fearing people, but there must be some hidden sin in the camp if they're unable to have children. They're waiting and they've waited a long time. The word of God here in Luke 1 says they are of an old age. They are old and they're waiting. And I, I would assume they have given up hope completely on that particular area of their life. But not only have they have been waiting for a child, all of Israel had been waiting for a child as well. But they've been waiting for a Messiah. They have been waiting for the anointed one of God who was prophesied. 700 years prior to Luke 1, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 prophesied these words, speaking of hope personified, Jesus. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his 
shoulders. Hallelujah. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. They were waiting 700 years. 25 times Israel had been occupied by other nations. And at the time of Luke 1, they were occupied by the Roman Empire. There's 400 years from the last book in our Old Testament, Malachi, to the next book, Matthew. 400 years. Oftentimes we read and we just flip the page. But there was 400 years of what felt like silence for the people of God as they waited, as they waited on the coming Messiah. God, we're waiting for you to intervene. Send a leader to bring your people to freedom. Now let me ask you, do you feel that God has been silent in an area of your life for some time? Has there been something that you have been praying about, an area of your life that you have been interceding for or in someone else's life perhaps, and you feel as if God has been silent to your requests? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a test result. Maybe it's financial. I want you to know this truth this morning that just because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. Just because God is silent does not mean he is absent. Perhaps you feel that God is silent in a particular area of your life today. You may need to be reminded, even though God may seem silent in an area of your life, he is not absent, he is near. He is present. Let's keep reading Luke 1, verses 8 through 9. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Lots were cast to receive the will of God in ancient history. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So whether they were drawing straws, whether they were flipping coins, whatever that was, it wasn't gambling. It was them asking for God to choose what may seem random to human eye, but to them they believed and they knew that it was the will of God. And so Zechariah is a priest in a particular division and his lot is drawn to burn incense this particular day in the temple. It just so happened to be. You ever heard that? It just so happened to be that this happened, that the lot fell on Zechariah this day. And there's a point here, I believe, for us in this, and that point is waiting 
doesn't mean ceasing from work. Waiting doesn't mean ceasing from work. How many of you can attest that there are a couple different types of waiting? There's an active waiting and there is a passive waiting. You can actively wait for something and you can passively wait for something. Let me give you an example. When I was 14 years old, I worked at McDonald's. Route 50 used to walk there. It was about a half mile away from the place that I grew up in. And so I worked at McDonald's and we had active waiters, you could say, those who were constructing, I usually worked on the grill, those who were constructing master sandwiches for McDonald's. And the active waiters, if you were one of those, you wouldn't just wait for an order to go on the screen to get working, you would be working in between the orders on the screen. You would have a wash rag in hand, wiping down surfaces, making sure you're wrappers and your boxes that the constructed sandwiches go in were filled up to the brim. You would make sure the nuggets were good, the burgers, the patties were filled up. You would make sure that even when there wasn't an order on the screen, you were working, you were actively waiting for an order to appear on the screen. And then we had our passive waiters, those who would wait passively and lean up against the, the grill while they just waited for an order to come on the screen. And the bosses, the managers knew who were the active and the passive waiters. There's active waiting and there's passive waiting. King David knew of an active waiting in Psalm 27. In the songbook, Here's what he writes in Psalm 27. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. The waiting here in the original language is an expectant, active waiting. Waiting doesn't mean ceasing from work. When Helen and I were dating, I told her that I believed I was called to, to pastor. And so we were at the point of our dating relationship where I was preparing to propose. And she had a pastor who's a great guy and he wanted to meet with me before this thing went any further. And I really look back at that and I appreciate that about this pastor. And so he meets with me, very intimidating, but I can handle it. And he brings me into his office and one of the questions he asked me is, young man, what are you gonna do for a career? And I said, well, I believe I'm called to pastor, however, I'm finishing up my associate's degree right now. I'm currently working full-time as a nursing assistant, and I'm working on a second job in ministry with Youth for Christ that I eventually got a few months later. And so I, I go, I, I believe I'm called the pastor, and I have a dream to go to Bible college someday. But this is where I'm currently at. 
And so I'm really grinding. I'm volunteering with a local Youth for Christ, and prayerfully I'll be on staff soon. And that ended up coming into fruition. Although I was waiting and believing that God would accomplish the calling that he had placed on my life, I wanted to be active in the process. I wasn't just going to wait passively by and say, well, I think I'm called to pastor. Let's put on the video games. That'll really help me get to where where I believe God's calling me to. No, I believe I was called to pastor. I believe God had put that call in my life at about 13 years old at a church camp in Maryland. And I, at about 18 years old, started actively pursuing that calling. Maybe you're single, single people waiting for a spouse. You should be active in your pursuit of biblical manhood or biblical womanhood in your pursuit for a spouse. You don't just passively wait by and allow the world to pass you by. Well, well, I'm just, I'm still single, so I'm just gonna wait. No, you actively pursue biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, as you wait and continue to pray for that person that, Lord willing, you'll spend the rest of your life with one day. And I can't help but to continue thinking about this in the generation we're in, boys, Get off the video games for 8 to 12 hours a day. It's not helping you. Okay? It's not helping our generation today. That's not going to help you find your spouse. Okay? Also, actively wait as you're considering membership in a church. I know a lot of people, especially nowadays, they're, they're still considering membership. And maybe it's been years, and that's okay. I, I, I understand it to a point. But if you're actively waiting in your pursuit of membership, sacrificially give. Volunteer. Join a small group. Join a Bible study. Don't passively wait with the excuse of, well, I'm not a member yet. And years go by. No, you need to dive in. You need to lean in. You need to join in. And prayerfully, it'll be in that leaning in where you feel a confirmation to either join the church or or not and look elsewhere to serve. We want to be a body of active worshipers, not passive bystanders. We learn the lesson from Zechariah as he continues serving in his waiting. He's a priest in a division, and he's serving God without child, older in age, and he's not cruising into eternity. He is actively waiting. He is actively serving. He is being used by God in that season of life, even as an older man. And it's actually at the place of service where God is about to show up in a powerful way with unbelievable news. Let's continue reading, and we're gonna bounce around here. Luke 1, 11 through 13. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Just listen, notice the precision in Luke's account. Standing at the what side? The right side 
at the altar of incense. I mean, Luke giving detail in this account. When Zechariah saw him, the angel of the Lord, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. How long was he praying? Your prayer has been heard? How long was Zechariah possibly praying for a son? Praying for a child? We don't know. But I assume it was a while. And you were to call him John. Phenomenal name. Verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is old. No, well along in years. There's a, there's a lesson there. We're not preaching it today, but... He's an old man and his wife is well along in years. All right. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day appears because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. It's the first recorded game of charades here in Luke chapter one. I mean, I just imagine all the people of God waiting for Zechariah, wondering why hasn't he come out yet? And he's just like, mm, huh, mm, uh, mm, like, I don't know what's going on. And it's probably a pretty wild, wild ride for the next nine months for Zechariah. I imagine some of you women would appreciate if your husband wasn't able to speak for nine months during your pregnancy. Um, but as a priest, I could also imagine that that would be a, a difficult attribute to not have for nine months. Luke 1, 57 and 58, the story continues. When it was the time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. And then later on, Zechariah writes down the name of the son, John. In verse 64, it says, Immediately his mouth, Zechariah's, was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Verse 67 jumps to his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And he did so in the form of song. And so for the next 12 verses there, you're going to read Zechariah prophesying and praising God in song. And our point to conclude this morning is God can turn silence 
into singing. God can turn silence into singing. Today, maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're alone. Maybe you're waiting this Christmas season and you've been waiting for a long time. You've been praying for a long time. And it just feels as if God has been silent. Maybe this season reminds you of someone you're just missing. You're just missing someone. Maybe this season brings angst to your soul and trouble. Or maybe you will feel this season because of all of those feelings that you might have. Maybe you're struggling to fill this season with the Christmas message and the Christmas hope, hope personified, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're struggling to get there because of all of these competing things that are making war with your mind. Wherever you're at in there, I have some good news for you. And the word of God has some good news for you. Hope personified is on the way. He's on the way. In six months, there's about to be another unexpected pregnancy. And he is hope personified. He is rest for the weary. He is Jesus the Messiah. He is the only one worthy of our worship this Christmas season. If you're new here, or you're new to, to church, you're new to this tradition, we invite you to lean in over these next few weeks as we continue to read of, to give our hearts to, to sing of this newborn king. That was a theme in all three of those hymns this morning. Newborn king, newborn king, newborn king. And we believe it is in this newborn king where we find our salvation, we find our rest. And if you have found him, you have found hope personified. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the message of Christmas. It's way beyond lights. It's way beyond all the Christmas feels, even though we appreciate all of that. Christmas, Lord, is about you. It's about your coming and the reason for your coming because sinners needed to be reconciled. And Father, as we look at another who came before you, Lord, shortly before you, I think it's in just three months, your birth is on the way in this story. When we think of John paving the way, preparing the way, what did he act as? He acted as a herald. And what was he preaching? He was preaching repentance and a turning to God. Father, may that message never grow old. And maybe someone today needs to hear the words of, of Luke 1, 19, 
as Gabriel approaches Zechariah and he says to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Maybe someone today needs to receive this good news. But the good news is Jesus born, Jesus sinless, Jesus crucified, for our sins, Jesus buried, and Jesus resurrected. This is the good news we have today. May we hang on to that good news and may we celebrate and worship in that good news. It is in the mighty name of that good news, the person of the good news, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Amen. We will have communion today as a body. And so if you're, if you're a believer here, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've turned from your sins, you've given him your life, you are invited to take communion. You don't have to be a member here to take communion. But if you're not a believer here in Jesus Christ, you're investigating perhaps, man, we're so grateful you're here. But we ask that when the elements come by you that you would pass those elements Um, And if you would like to talk with someone, pray with someone about what it means to be a Christian, we would love, love, love to talk to you about that invitation. The same night that Jesus was betrayed, he, some 33 years after, after this scene in Luke chapter one, he met with his disciples in an upper room. He met with them in a, with a meal, and he broke bread with them. And in breaking that bread, he gave thanks. And he declared to them that this is my body, which is given for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, And he declared, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant spilled for you as often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. This morning we're going to serve you in your seats and if you have a gluten allergy um, in the middle Um, of the bread that we're passing out. There's gluten-free bread there for you. If you would wait for everyone to be served, we will partake first in the bread together, and then we will partake in the juice. I'd like to invite the elders forward.